the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by the Federation for American Immigration Reform and George Rodriguez on 930 AM, The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas, on this uh, Saturday, January the 14th, 2023. Welcome to the show, my friends. We've got a packed one for you. We have uh, some great guests, uh, some new ones, as well as uh, some uh, folks that we always go to to give us an update of what is happening at the border. Uh, we uh, I, we can't say enough, my friends, about what has happened this past week at the border with President Biden visiting, and I use the term very much, very loosely, visiting the border uh, and then going on to Mexico. I, it just is amazing to me, my friends, that the, the, that these folks can be so shameless in uh, pretending to care about what is happening at the border. And not only that, but in the meantime, uh, and you're going to hear it from, a, from one of our guests, uh, they've, um, they're making it easy, easier, uh, almost setting up a conveyor belt for people to come into the country. And uh, they're going to play, the, the, the Biden administration is going to be playing uh, word games uh, with folks uh, who are clearly illegal aliens who have not been invited nor have any business coming into the country. But they are going to be given a designation. Now, this is going to be something similar to the way that uh, Obama handled the Dreamers. Uh, it, it's uh, what they do is that they use their executive power when they don't have the authority to use their executive power. Biden is going to parole uh, anybody and everybody uh, that that comes into the country. On top of that, they're going to be receiving money, uh, taxpayer money that goes to the UN, uh, which we should have stopped a long time ago, but it still does. And then the UN turns around and gives it to these people who are en route to our border. Yes, we are funding uh, illegal immigration in a very, very direct manner. I mean, it, to me, that sounds like like uh, the turkey that's out there sharpening the axe for the for the uh, farmer. That's exactly what it sounds like. So uh, let me tell you who our guests are, what they're going to be talking about, and then uh, I'll, I'll briefly uh, give my opinion about this whole situation with with Biden administration with Biden visiting in Mexico. Um, we have first of all uh, Miss Jill Glover. Jill Glover is the chairperson of uh, for lat legislative affairs for the Republican Party of Texas. She's going to be chatting with us because uh, the uh, state of Texas's legislative affairs or legislation, should I say, their state legislation just uh, uh, started this past week. And uh, she's going to be chatting about what the uh, priorities are among them, of course, illegal immigration, how, the border crisis. But she's going to be chatting with us about uh, uh, what is expected and uh, hoped for. Um, we also have um, uh, Todd Staples. Todd Staples is the president of the Texas Oil and Gas Association, probably one of the most, uh, if not the most, uh, influential uh, industries in the state of Texas. He's going to be chatting with us about um, the uh, future of oil and gas and uh, the challenges that they're facing uh, here in, in, in the state of Texas, thanks to the Biden administration. As many of you know and have made fun of on social media, the Biden administration was actually considering some of the radicals, some of the green radicals, were actually considering banning gas stoves. 
because, of course, they're dangerous. And there's nothing better, my friends, than for a bureaucrat to be watching out for your safety. Oh, makes me feel warm all over. Um, also, we've got uh, two of our best friends uh, who are regular guests on our show, Mr. Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies and Mr. Jason Jones, who is uh, the border uh, reporter for Newsmax. Uh, both of them are going to talk to us about uh, the uh, visit by uh, Biden to the border, to El Paso and then Mexico, as well as they're going to fill us in on what is happening uh, behind the scenes. There have been some horrific uh, battles in Mexico between the, the Mexican uh, police, Mexican military, and the cartels. And I'll tell you, my friends, the cartels are winning. The cartels are winning. Here in, uh, in, in El Paso, across the, the bridge from El Paso in Juarez, uh, there was a major prison break about uh, a week ago. And uh, uh, over 20, almost 30 uh, inmates, very dangerous inmates, escaped. This was uh, an action taken by the local cartel to free these characters. There was also the effort in, uh, in Culiacán, Mexico, uh, for uh, the, the federal police tried to arrest the son of Chapo Guzman, uh, who is in custody now, but Chapo Guzman's sons have taken over the cartel uh, uh, work. And uh, when the military tried to arrest him, the uh, cartel fought back and beat back and beat him. Uh, the uh, beat, beat the military. I mean, they are well financed. The cartels are well financed and better trained. It seems like certainly better. They they outgun the uh, the military. So uh, I mean, my my friends, things are getting worse at the border. Not better, worse. And uh, the uh, Biden administration just seems to be lollygagging along. So without further ado, let's go to our first guest. Uh, Miss uh, Jill Glover, uh, chairwoman of the uh, Tex- of the legislative affairs for the Texas Republican Party. Stay tuned, my friends. Call your friends. Tell them that um, we're on. We'll be right back with our first guest. Howdy, howdy, howdy! Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas, and we've got uh, Miss uh, Jill Glo- Glover, who is the chair of the Legislative Affairs uh, Committee for the Republican Party of Texas. And as everyone knows, the uh, Texas State Legislature just began. So we want to ask Jill uh, about uh, what she has seen, what she has heard on this uh, legislative day, this first legislative day, and uh, what your expectations are. Jill, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time to be with us. What, George, um, thank you so much. I am so glad to be here with you. Good. What uh, What have you seen? What did you hear? Uh, and what do you think are the expectations for this coming uh, legislative session? Well, as you know, the legislative session um, opened on Tuesday, and um, we the the uh, representatives and the senators were sworn in Tuesday, and they uh, made their the House for Speaker and Speaker Dave Phelan uh, did win re-election as Speaker of the House. So we were um, hoping that the rules debate would take place today as uh, one of our eight legislative priorities for the Republican Party of Texas is banning Democrat chairs. And what that refers to is the House and the Senate both have committees for um, uh, various uh, legislation, and so we were hoping that we would be able to get a rule change where um, we would not have uh, Democrats appointed to chairmanships when Republicans hold the majority in the House and the Senate. Uh, Speaker Phelan has um, a uh, history of appointing uh, some Democrats, and last session there were 40% of the chairmanships were awarded to Democrats, and we just believe that uh, the Republican voters uh, voted for Republicans uh, to uh, be the majority, and we expect Republicans to lead, and that means chairing all of uh, the House and Senate committees. So, um, so uh, disappointingly, yesterday, uh, they went ahead and held the vote yesterday. We had um, uh, asked hundreds and hundreds of folks from across the state to come and watch the rules debate. Um, we did think it might take place today as it uh, last session, it was scheduled for um, the third day of session, but we knew it could be moved to uh, to Wednesday, so we knew that was a possibility. But um, they they knew we were coming out in force on Thursday, but they decided to go ahead and hold the debate um, yesterday. 
And so, unfortunately, there were some parliamentary things that happened so that the vote uh, was not taken on the floor. And the representatives did not even get to vote on whether or not uh, uh the speakers should be able to appoint Democrats as chairs. So we were disappointed in that um, for our, you know, something, a major um, opportunity to get one of our very first Republican Party of Texas uh, priorities passed. That did not happen. Um, however, um, we are uh, not deterred. We are not um, uh deflated, we will continue to uh, urge our representatives to vote for our other seven priorities because they are absolutely critical to our state uh, surviving, quite frankly. Now, for, for our in, uh, in information, <clears throat> the importance of having Democrat, of having Republican chairman of committees is because Though the chairs can hold up legislation in some cases, can they not? That, that's exactly right. There, there's several reasons. You know, one, as I mentioned, that we just want Republican leadership, first of all. Second of all, is that you're right. When bills uh, come to their committees, the chair has uh, the discretion of allowing that bill to be heard and voted on in that committee. So the chair can kill uh, a piece of legislation that they don't like. Another thing is... Um, Democrats fundraise off of those chairmanships. And so, you know, when they become chairs, then um, inadvertently, we Republicans um, are allowing them to make money off of those spots for their next election. So that doesn't make sense that uh, <laughs> we would be participating in Democrat re-election. It truly doesn't. Uh, tell us right. about the other pr priorities. What are the other priorities? Sure. You know, the, the other priorities fall in really into three broad categories. Number one is election integrity. And if we do not have secure, safe, transparent elections um, that we can trust that the will of the people has been um, expressed and is accurate, then we absolutely um, will not last long, frankly, as a free state. Um, the other thing, number two, that is incredibly important is securing our border and protecting Texans. We must get our border secured. We need um, the governor to not just say the word invasion, but to really declare an invasion with all that that um, actually means. And then the other broad third category is protecting our children, and that includes banning gender modification of children, which, of course, was one of our legislative priorities last session. We were real disappointed. We did not get that passed. We are looking to get that passed this session. Um, and I'm, I'm optimistic. Many of our reps are saying they think a bill will be passed on that this legislative session. Um, another one of our priorities is stop sexualizing Texas kids, and that refers to the pornography that is present in our public libraries and our Texas public schools, along with um, the restrictions on children being able to attend uh, drag shows and the like. Um, then, of course, abolishing abortion in Texas. Um, we, we feel like there's going to be some pushback um, on Roe v. Wade, of course, was overturned, but that there is some talk of wanting to um, to uh, provide exceptions, and we do not uh, want to have you know any any gains that we made um, be turned back. Um, then, parental rights and educational freedom. Parents, of course, have the inalienable rights as a pr primary decision makers for their children in all matters. Our delegates um, and and our primary voters um, who voted for this issue by 87% um, want money to follow the child um, with absolutely no government strings attached to that. And we want uh, the right of education free of all social theories, of course, including gender and critical race theory. And then, of course, last but last not least is defending our gun rights. And again, we did get permitless carry. Last session, we want to uh, make sure that none of those rights um, are given back or taken back this session, rather. Um, and again, we've we've heard you know some rumors of that, and we want to make sure that we keep our Second Amendment rights very, very strong in Texas. And we do want to get rid of gun-free zones. Excellent, uh, Jill. Sounds like it's going to be a very, very exciting legislative uh, session this time around. Yes, sir. We are optimistic. Um, despite our our disappointment of yesterday, we are. Um, we are anticipating that our reps are going to, and our, our senators as well, are going to file some excellent pieces of legislation. And we have we have seen some good bills filed, and we are um, optimistic that they will fight for them hard on the floor of the Texas House and the Senate. 
Uh, really, we need to stay. We need to get you back on the show and and uh, engage how things are moving along from time to time. Yes, sir. It would be great to have and you back on again. I appreciate you having me so much. And if people want to follow along, um, TexasGOP.org is the website, of course, for the Republican Party of Texas. And I do put out a legislative priorities report. Um, almost on a weekly basis, and you can find that under the menu item, hashtag TexLedge, hashtag T-X-L-E-G-E, and there is a sign-up for my legislative priorities report. So I would absolutely encourage people to follow that. And then we also have approved bills that match the priorities. If people want to check that bill list and encourage their reps to support those bills, that would be awesome. Fantastic. Thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us, folks. We've been speaking with uh, Ms. Jill Glover, who is the chairperson for the Legislative Affairs for the Republican Party of Texas. Jill, thank you very much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you so much, George, and we'll talk to you soon. Yes, ma'am. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. And we've got our good friend, Mr. Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies. And uh, I wanted to reach out to him, as I have to others, uh, to uh, ask him what his thoughts are about uh, Biden's visit to Mexico, as well as uh, Todd has a new article regarding how the UN, or actually the Biden administration, is going to be giving the United Nations money so that the United Nations can give it to migrants that are coming to the United States. So, welcome to the show, Todd, as usual. First of all, talk to us about your thoughts about uh, the uh, visit of the president to Mexico. Well, I, I think it's it's a pro forma presidential kind of visit, tightly controlled, not an immigrant in sight in an area that's absolutely flooded with them. They caught 500 just in the three hours he was there. Uh, you didn't see a single one of them. All of that was choreographed, just like you kind of would expect of like probably any any president, except maybe Trump. Uh, so, you know, you didn't, the, the White House press corps that was trailing along with them didn't see anything about what the reality of, of the complete catastrophe in that sector and all along the border. So I don't think it did the Democrats any damage that way. Uh, which is probably the idea. And also, it's a safe time for him to have gone down there because the midterms are in the rearview mirror now, and there's no election for another couple of years. So good timing for politics. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, uh, <clears throat> I don't know I don't know what uh, his negotiations with AMLO did, in, if they did any good, any, any good or uh, that is with the president of Mexico, if that did anything. Or uh, if uh, if he actually saw any uh, of the uh, problems in El Paso with the illegal aliens, heaven only knows. Right. Well, you know, as I've reported, the president is shape-shifting the border crisis as we speak uh, by creating a new legal pathway, as they call it, for at least 360,000 of four of the nationalities in the next year to cross legally, quote-unquote, through ports of entry. And what that's going to do, that program where they just let them walk over the border, they apply, like kind of make a reservation like you would on a, on, a, on a restaurant app, and then, you know, get your papers together, and then they'll let you in with work authorization at the port of entry instead of jumping the border, Hundreds of thousands are going to be doing that, and that's going to draw hundreds of thousands more behind them, and I think that's what AMLO and Biden were talking about, because that's going to be a big backlog into Mexico and a long wait time. So, so Mexico is going to have hundreds of thousands waiting in its territory for, to, for their turn to go through, and I think that, uh, that's kind of what that, that negotiation was about. It ended with... We're giving Mexico a whole bunch of money. So anytime we're giving Mexico a whole bunch of money, it's because we've got a big ask, and I think that's what the ask is. Uh, work with us on this thing we're trying to do, uh, which is to hide the ball. 
that all, all of those people that go through the, the new legal way, assuming it survives legal challenge, will not be counted as illegal immigrants or illegal entrants. So it'll look like the numbers are going down and he'll say the border's under control. Uh, and all that depends on AMLO playing ball. Got to buy him off. Yeah, which means probably we'll have to give him some money and we'll have to continue yeah. ignoring. <laughs> excuse me. We'll have to continue ignoring the um, uh, the cartels. Now, again, these illegal aliens, once they use this app, this app, this system that that uh, Biden is putting, uh, they're I guess they're technically not going to be legal aliens anymore, but rather uh, aliens waiting on a hearing in the United States. Correct? Right. They're <clears throat> using uh, uh, an authority. They're uh, rather they're abusing an authority called humanitarian parole. It's in the INA, but. Humanitarian parole is only supposed to be used in a one-off basis. You know, somebody, some Mexican police officer got wounded and he's crawling up the riverbank. You know, we're going to let him in for medical treatment and then send him home, right? Uh, it's not supposed to be used for masses and masses, whole categories of nationalities like they're uh, using it here. So it's, it's an illegal use. It's an unlawful, made-up, parallel immigration system that Congress has not approved. Uh, all of our other legal systems are all approved by, you know, you want to apply for a visa or a student uh, visa or something like that. You know, those systems are all approved by Congress. This thing's not approved. They just made it up on the fly. So uh, they're just letting, you know, they're going to let millions of people right in over the ports of entry so that they don't have to call them illegal entrants. You know, this is very disturbing. It really, really is because, again, they're being creative. They're being creative with the law. And uh, it's going to create a complication, a legal complication, just like um, we've never been able to resolve this whole issue with the Dreamers. And, uh, I, it, you know, it, it just makes well, the, the law worse. <clears throat> humanitarian parole, the way that they're going to use it is all of those people that get it, will be presumed asylum seekers, even though they haven't even said, I want asylum. We're going to just bestow upon all of these millions of people the presumption that they're going to one day in a year, they're going to get work authorization, by the way, uh, apply for asylum. But the truth is, is that most of them don't care anything about asylum. They're not going to even bother. They're just going to disappear into the country and become part of the illegal immigration population and say, come and get me. And we're never going to come and get them because there's too many. So, uh, and then the ones that do apply for asylum are going to lose. They, they lose, you know, eight out of 10 of them lose nine out of 10 of them lose. And then they still say, come and get me. I'm staying for as long as I can. Yeah. It, it's, it, it just, they're it, permanent. They're yeah. permanent. It's a, it's an absolute disaster that, that they seem to be feeding. I mean, I, I just don't understand it. Um, do you think that um, that um, Mayorkas, under the new, uh, with the new House committee, do you think that he might be impeached? I mean, I think that, that there are some that are going to try to bring articles. I, I think one of them already has. Uh, he's not going to be impeached, though. The, the numbers aren't there. But it'll just be kind of political theater. I'm not a big fan of this, by the way, but because I saw how Democrats used that power to persecute President Trump. And I remember thinking, you know, God, I hope Republicans don't ever stoop to that. But I think they're going to stoop to it. <laughs> so, you know, it is what it is. Well, <clears throat> well, my friend, anything else that you'd li like to add before we let you go? <laughs> Well, uh, you know, one thing, one thing that um, I wrote about this week, which I think is very significant, especially as it relates to the, uh, the bogus parallel new system that we've just been talking about, and that is that the United Nations has produced a 2023-2024 document saying what they're going to do with hundreds of millions of dollars to help all of these 
uh, immigrants reach the, the southern border. Uh, and part of that is that they're going to spend $450 million in cash, just handing out cash and cash vouchers to at least 630,000 immigrants uh, in the form of debit cards and hotel money and hostel room money, uh, shelter and long-distance transportation, uh, medical, everything that they need, food, clothing, shelter, everything that they need to stay on trail and get into the country. And as these lines that I talk about lengthen in Mexico, and the time it takes for for you to get your turn to get passed over into the United States lengthens. That United Nations program that I wrote about at CIS.org is going to play a huge supporting critical role. They, it won't work without the United Nations just sprinkling hundreds of millions of dollars in cash all along that migrant trail. Uh, read my piece at CIS.org. Most of that money is American taxpayer contributions to the United Nations. Outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. Folks, we've been talking with our good friend, Mr. Todd Bensman from the Center for Immigration Studies. Todd, thank you very much for enlightening us as usual. Thank you for having me. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got our good friend, Mr. Jason Jones, reporter for Newsmax, uh, on the border. And uh, he is also a uh, former Texas Department of Public Safety official. And uh, so he has a lot of knowledge regarding the issue of the crime and the cartels <clears throat> on the border. And I wanted to reach out to him because the uh, President Biden just recently met with the President of Mexico. And, uh, you know, we have no idea how <clears throat> effective this whole uh, meeting was in, in light of the strength of the cartels. Jason, talk to us. How, how effective or what, um, I mean, with all the fentanyl, with all of the illegal uh, immigration um that is going on, all the crime, uh, the breakout that was attempted in, in uh, or that was successful, should I say, in Juarez, as well as the failed attempt to uh, arrest El Chapo Guzman's son by the, by the Mexican government. I mean, who's in charge of Mexico and what uh, could Biden possibly have accomplished? Well, George, as always, first off, it's great to be with you, uh, trying to help get the word out about what's really taking place and how what's happening in Mexico is directly impacting Americans across this country. Because despite the politics, Biden's and his administration meeting with the Mexican government is extremely important. And it's important because of the fentanyl crisis in this country. It is not getting better. I've seen some of the new numbers that are about to come out for 2022 in regards to overdose deaths, we're going to be at over 108,000 in 2022. So again, we're, we're shattering records there domestically. Now, why was this, this summit very important? Because of two things. First, in the short run, hitting the cartels' labs, specifically Sinaloans and Cartel Jalisco, is extremely important to save lives, both in the United States and in Mexico, because Mexico also has a major problem with fentanyl addiction. Uh, and other addictions in their country as well. So that's the that's a short-term win once we learn exactly what came from that. Second, the long-term goal of what is Mexico going to be forced to do about these cartels as they have truly become a parallel government in Mexico. And the world saw this again play out last week as Sedena, a certain wing of Mexico's big army, went after Ovidio Guzman, the son of Chapo Guzman, and one of four who commands what is known as the Los Chapitos, the, the cell that uh, Chapo Guzman used to run. You know, there's a perception out there that Chapo was the head of the Sinaloa cartel. It has never been that way. 
the cartel is made up of multiple smuggling organizations. And when he got put in prison, his sons took over a certain wing. So to go after someone who's not even in charge of a faction and to see the level of violence of 29 dead, to see how the they took over an airfield because they knew that once he was in custody, the first thing that had to happen was had, the Sedano forces had to fly him out. So what did they do? They took the airfield in Culiacan. And then that's when you saw Sedana come in air-to-ground operations to take back the airfield so that they could fly him out. Now, what does that show you? That shows you the breadth and scope of an army and the capability that has taken place and how these cartels have so much strength in Mexico, but also how they're able to impact us as the Mexican government has done very little. Now, now let me just put it in perspective here. Three days after that, the Mexican government went after El Gato, the former head of uh, a faction of the Beltran Labor Organization, which is really a broke-up cartel in Mexico, but extremely important to the United States because we have been wanting this individual since in 2013 he committed an assassination on a lawyer in South Lake, Texas. I worked that case. I know it very well. And the tradecraft that was used to locate him when they put tracking devices on family in other states in order to find him and then executed him in a mall in South Lake, Texas. So that individual had been on the FBI's uh, uh, top 10. So in literally in three days, all of a sudden before president Biden arrives, the Mexican government starts trying to make it appear that they're doing things to counter cartel operations. And it's an example of what you have heard me talk about how over the last several years that I've been on your show that we know where they are. We know where their labs are. We know where they live. We know how to get them. The problem has been, George, is that the cowardice of the Homeland Security Enterprise to hold the Mexican government accountable so that we can stop this when they're killing Americans with deadly fentanyl and methamphetamine, and yet at the same time controlling the country of Mexico, it shows the world that we can get them. We know where they are. The problem is that we haven't had the leadership to allow us to do it. Isn't that the truth? Uh, you know, uh, it, this whole idea, uh, it almost parallels uh, the president of Mexico's uh, approach to crime where he says hugs, not bullets. Here in the United States, we seem to be very, very soft on crime. And I guess that's the liberal leftist approach to um, to bad behavior is, you know, uh, hug them and spoil them. Spoil, uh, uh, spare the rod to spoil the child type situation. You know, I have built programs to go after these cartels, working with the best of the best in DEA, the best of the best in the different federal agencies, and within U.S. intelligence agencies, collaborating with the Marines in Mexico. And I can tell you right now, without any hesitation, we know where they are. We know how to beat them. We know how to go after them. And what, but the problem has been, it's not so much even politics at times. It's the cowardice within the Homeland Security Enterprise from DHS leadership to these SES positions in the federal government that just don't have the will and are not looking and focused on what's impacting Americans. And look, I say it on national television, George, I will say it here again and again. That what Americans are really witnessing is the largest U.S. intelligence failure since 9-11 and that these cartels represent the most significant national security and public safety threats to the American people. And you see it in the overdose deaths. Yep. Now, uh, this past uh, Wednesday, there was a group of senators led by Texas Senator Cornyn, which included some Democrat senators, which is a new one. I, I had not seen that. Uh, that came to, uh, to Del Rio and to uh, El Paso. Um do you think that under the new um, House leadership, there may be some changes? I don't. I think that you're going to hear it publicly. They're going to want you to believe that they're going to do a whole lot of things differently. They're going to hold hearings. They're going to tell you that they're going to try to do this and they're going to try to win it in the courts. I want to be very clear here. Without a mass casualty event and a change from the White House in national policy on Mexico, on the immigration issue, there will be no change in the next two years. The only change that you will see is approximately 7 million people coming across that southern border into the United States. That's what you're going to see in the next two years. 
there's going to be a major thing here where the, the Congress tries to make Republicans feel at ease that they're going to they're going to work on your behalf. I want to be very clear here, and I, I truly mean it. It's just politics, and it's empty noise. We're not winning border security in the courts. We've been trying since 2009. We haven't been able to do it since. It's not going to happen, George. But there's going to be a lot of people that are going to tell everyone all the great work they're going to do, and the truth is they're not going to be able to get it done. And yeah. you'll, you'll see it. I mean, it is what it is, but it's where we are. So I, I guess uh, at this point, until there is a change not only in Washington, but in Mexico City as well, uh, the cartels are going to continue to, to flourish. Right? Well, that's the problem. That there, there's your core issue right there. And Americans will continue to die at record-setting numbers. And that's where I have a real problem when I realize and I know from my experience how easily this is and how easily fixable this is. You know, these cartels today are a dark network. And you sh- our strategy should be that. Our strategy should be go after the lawyers, go after the accountants, then go after the capos. Why? Because we want to take from them everything first before we go after them. What what do I mean by that? We want to take their money. We want to take their assets. And we can't do any of this until we designate them as foreign terrorist organizations because what it does is it allows us to have tools of national power to go after their assets real-time all over the world outside the confines of the United States of Fourth Amendment. Domestically, George, we will always use the Fourth Amendment, and our process will always be what it has always been. But we need this terrorism designation in order to go after them. Now, I don't foresee we're going to get that under this administration. And I do believe that there's going to be some real concessions made to go after the labs because the administration's in trouble. They're in trouble not on the immigration front from their base, but the administration's in trouble from the overdose death crisis. And if it's not the immigration issue, if, if it's the overdose deaths that make the administration start making Mexico be held accountable, and go after these cartels, then at least that's something because we need a short win here for the nation. We cannot continue to have the level of people dying at the hands of these cartels and this poison. We can also, and look, I don't mean to go on here, but I want to be very frank. We can't look at the overdose death crisis today as the way we remember the drug problem in the past. It is two separate worlds. You know, they have cloned pills that look like Xanax and many other things that no one can tell a difference unless you're looking at it under a microscope. I mean, I just had a friend lost his 31-year-old son day before yesterday to a fake Xanax pill. He had no idea it came from the cartels. Wow. This is not someone that had been a drug addict. You see what I'm getting at? He got this from a friend who got it from somebody else. This is where we really are. And, you know, as a country, we have to stop looking at the things the way we remember it and look at the things the way they are today because people are dying, George. You got it. Buddy, thank you very much for taking some time to be with us and shed some more light on this whole situation on the border. Uh, tell the folks where they can follow you. Absolutely. You can find us on Newsmax every day, or you can follow me on social media at Jason Jones. That's J-A-E-S-O-N, Jason Jones. You got it. Once again, my friends, we've been speaking with our good friend Jason Jones from Newsmax. Thank you very much, Jason. Have a good one. You too. Always good to be with you, George. Thank you very much. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And uh, we've got uh, a new guest, uh, someone that I've known for a while, uh, Mr. Todd Staples. And uh, Todd is the president of the Texas Oil and Gas Association, a very, very important industry in Texas. Some would say probably the most important industry. And uh, I wanted to reach out to him because, um, well, uh, we've got an energy crisis that seems to be ongoing uh, in the past uh, couple of years. And uh, welcome to the show, Todd. Thank you for taking time to talk to us. We know how important the um, the industry is. Uh, the uh, uh, state yesterday of, of announced that we've got a surplus uh, in, in the budget, uh, and that's due a lot to what uh, the oil and gas industry brings to us. Tell us a little bit about um, the oil industry uh, and, and and the impact of the um, Biden administration has had on our uh, on this industry. 
Well, thank you, George, for having me today, and thank you for your your strong conservative voice. Um, oil and natural gas does have an enormous role on our state's economy, on our national security, and influences the life of every American. And I'm very proud to work with members of the Texas Oil and Gas Association who produce the oil and natural gas that we rely on and is used in our everyday products. They transport that product through pipeline system that's second to none in the world. And then they refine that product uh, into, into usable products like gasoline and diesel, but even other products that go into makeups and medicines and tires and water bottles. Uh, in fact, 96% of the products that we use every day is, actually has a component of oil or natural gas in it. Uh, we didn't. We don't. We don't learn that in our science classes all the times in school. But it. But it truly does, and it's an exciting to be a part of it. It is alarming to me, George, that we are now have an administration that is adverse and hostile to the very industry that in Texas is funding our schools, funding our roads, funding our universities, and we have an administration that is actually discouraging oil and gas production. Uh, that is irreplaceable to our lives. We've seen globally what has resulted when they have do not have access to the basic daily energy needs. And let's face it, um, energy sources can and do change over time. Oil and natural gas is very comfortable with that because we know that we will be a part of our energy future for years to come, even though new energy sources are being developed. Uh, Comptroller Hager, as you mentioned, uh, there's $32.6 or $7 billion of surplus, and thanks to historic numbers of oil and gas production and, and severance taxes paid, uh, the state will have a uh, have to determine now how to give that back to us. I know Governor Abbott indicated he would like to see half of that go back in property tax relief. That sounds pretty good to me, uh, but we'll see what they end up doing with that. Now, George, you, you know, we, we go back to the administration and we look at how their policies have actually impeded growth. Um, uh, we've seen them cancel pipelines. We've seen this administration delay permits. We've seen this administration insert into other permitting processes uh, things that should not be a factor that, it, that has resulted in discouraging growth in this sector of our economy. And that's frustrating. And the good news is oil and gas producers in Texas continue to grow. Where Our oil production is up. Our natural gas production is up. We have a booming LNG sector uh, of where we're taking excess surplus natural gas produced in Texas, shipping it all over to the world to our allies who are desperately in need of this irreplaceable energy product. You know, yesterday, uh, or should I say on, on uh, Monday, I believe they uh, the Biden administration went so far to announce that they wanted to do away with gas stoves. Uh, I mean, it, it is it's mind boggling. It, it really yeah. is. You know, George, I wouldn't be here today if gas stoves were a problem <laughs> because uh, I grew up with gas stoves and space heaters, and uh, you know, and that's just what we did. And they're they're a great energy source, and um, it, it's you know, it's laughable when you when you see these types of policies that are designed to scare people. You know, that's just unfortunate. We don't need a government that scares people. We need a government that gets out of our way and allows the free enterprise system to do what it does best, and that's to deliver products at the most reliable and affordable uh, possible method. And, um, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't get to talk about um, banning natural gas stoves. George, nor do I understand the philosophy behind cities across the country and even in Texas that are trying to tell you you cannot use a gasoline-powered lawnmower or blower or weed eater for your yard. <laughs> That's exactly right. In fact, I want you to know that I have a, a neighbor who moved in from California a couple of years ago uh, and last uh, April when I was cutting the grass for the first time, she actually asked me if it was wise to do that. Oh, uh, my. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> 
Well, you know, look, if consumers want want to have those products, great for them. I, you know, the government just should not be picking winners and losers. And, you know, diversity is great. We love diversity in our foods. We love uh, educational choice. We like to be able to shop where we want to shop. And we need to be able to use the types of tools that, that helps our families in the most reliable way. And I, you know, as a as a someone that's owned small businesses, operated small businesses, and been a part of small businesses my entire life, I mean, when I got out of school, we my dad picked us up and we had tree work to do or farm work to do. And I just can't imagine a government that, you know, for working people day to day that whose goal is to increase your cost of doing business. It is counterintuitive to unleashing opportunity and unleashing freedom to the people of this great country. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. You said it very, very well. Let me ask you uh, here in, in, in uh, conclusion, we've got uh, about five more minutes. Um, how, uh, what uh, are, are, since we've got a new legislation, legislative session coming uh, to our state uh, today, in fact, um, what um, uh, what are the legislative priorities? I mean, how is the uh, Texas uh, gas and oil industry going to help help us uh, to afford to fill up our our tanks and and uh, keep ourselves warm, et cetera, et cetera? Well, that's a great question. Oil and gas does want to be a part of our future, and it wants to provide affordable, reliable energy supplies. It's it is a big day, George, as you rightly pointed out. They are convening for the eighty eighth session of the Texas legislature. Uh, we've got 150 House members, 31 senators coming from every region of the state, different priorities, different uh, principles, different faiths. Uh, and uh, it's amazing that Texas has been doing this since 1846. <laughs> I don't know if they've ever missed a, a, a chance to get together. Sometimes that wouldn't hurt my feelings if they just didn't <laughs> show up. <laughs> you know, the, the, Texas, the old joke is the Texas Constitution that uh, – requires them to meet for 140 days every two years and uh, most people think if they met for two days every 140 years their lives would be better uh, certainly congress could take some uh, tips from texans on on that philosophy but you know the big picture items is how to give back the 33 billion dollar surplus uh, is educational choice going to pass this session those are the things that they're looking at from oil and gas we're focusing and watching and are heavily engaged in several issues. One of the issues that we're very concerned about, George, is electricity market redesign. Huh. We know when uh, when when uh, URI hit in February 2021, the legislature passed a lot of bills, made a lot of requirements. Our grid has been shored up in, in a lot of areas. It performed very well, outperformed most other grids during Elliott, I might point out, this last storm that we had. Uh -huh. uh, but yeah, Texas is growing, you know, had 470,000 new people move to our state last year, I think I'm told. And so uh, how we re redesign our electricity market to where it, it is reliable, but it is affordable, is essential to the future growth of Texas. So that's one area that we're looking at. Another area is that you know, I hope nobody watched Georgia beat up on the Horn Frogs last oh, night. My was, that was brutal. Oh, oh my goodness. I, I tried to hang with them as an Aggie. I hung with the Horn Frogs as long <laughs> as I could. Uh, but I, here's the thing. Competition is fierce. And when it comes to economic development, just like these college football teams are going to be competing for high school stars, Texas is competing for jobs and we're competing for investment and states all across our country are trying to attract businesses their way so we need to really look at the overall business climate in Texas, how we can be competitive, how we can continue to address high property taxes and attempt to lower them and then how can we uh, offer incentives to get companies to move to Texas to bring their jobs that's done in an accountable and transparent way. We're going to be looking at that. A couple of other issues that we're looking at is that um, 
We know that these cities are doing things to make life harder. We're, we're, we're monitoring several bills of the legislature that would prohibit them from banning, you know, activities that are lawful. We're watching that very closely. And then uh, we're also looking at carbon capture and sequestration because trillions of dollars are going to be spent globally on capturing carbon. We'd like to see those jobs, that investment right here in Texas. We're going to be looking at that. And then the bottom line is we want an environment where oil and gas companies can continue to invest and continue to grow. Texas has to lead. Texas can lead. We have the know-how. We have the technology. Uh, our members invest in research and development and innovation and technology to find new solutions to old problems every day. I'm excited about the future of oil and gas. I'm excited that it's going to continue to provide what we need to make modern life possible. I, you know, I, I really, really applaud it because uh, I'll tell you, Todd, you know, we really, really need uh, at least diversified. I mean, diversified energy, we can say that. I mean, uh, gas and oil have been around forever, and uh, they continue to be reliable. They continue to be uh, affordable, and uh, we just, you know, we just can't jump to a new form that we don't even know about that we don't even have, and uh, it, it just isn't sound insane. Yeah, you, you 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 hit the nail on the head. It is not available in most places, and so government mandating certain things only uh, insults and causes injury to consumers in terms of creating false scarcity and higher prices. Look, look, there's enough ups and downs in markets and the economy that, that we don't need government making it work. <laughs> yes. You know, we, we need, we, we need the, we need the marketplace to be in, you know, to create the right signals for policy and the signals does not need to be, canceling pipelines the decisions the 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 policies do not need to be to go in and declare uh the permian basin as a non-attainment zone for ozone purposes (laughs) i was very excited to see the the administration put the push the pause button there let's let's hope it's permanently on pause (laughs) amen to that todd we're going to let you go but thank you very very much we could chat for with you forever because this is such an important uh issue uh, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. We will get back with you. We certainly want to get you back on the show, like I said. Well, that sounds great. Thank you for getting this information to the public and empowering voters. That's exactly what needs to happen to keep Texas strong. Thank you very much. We've been speaking with our good friend, Mr. Todd Staples, president of the Texas Gas and Oil Industry Association here in here in Texas. Thank you very much. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.